0: This is Adrian Dunbar and I'm at the Irish Cultural Centre Hammersmith for Bright Side of the
1: Road on Portobello Radio. Uh, we're back on films now and we're delighted to introduce John Furze. Hi John. Hi. Uh, Hello. Um, John directed the film Blind Flight which uh, recreates the harrowing time that uh, Brian Keenan and John McCarthy uh, endured when they were abducted in Beirut. Um... Ros, do you want to just remind everyone yeah. h- who Brian Keenan and John McCarthy were?
2: Well, Brian Keenan was, in, was from Northern Ireland, Belfast. He was, a school, he was a teacher, a university lecturer, and he went out to Beirut and uh, was taken hostage. Um, John McCarthy was a, broad, he was a journalist, wasn't he? Yeah. Again, he also went out. They both were taken hostage at the same time and were locked away together for many, many years. And it's uh, harrowing story, I, I've seen the film so I can comment on it as well, it's, it's gripping, totally gripping
1: John, what attracted you to this story, I mean it's obviously it's a, it's a gri- gripping narrative and uh, if I remember it gripped the whole nation,
0: yeah it was a huge story but of course I... I, 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 I it was an accident actually. I'd worked with a, um, a very well-known British documentary director called Mike Grigsby and he took me over to Galway, to, uh, to, not to Galway, sorry to Shannon to meet Brian uh, who was um, less than six months out of, out of captivity um, and I hadn't seen Brian's legendary s- speech on television on his return that moved everybody and, and sort of sparked the whole story in the public mind um, uh but uh, so i met brian for the first time in shannon um he had a, he had a little uh, red setter with him um which shat everywhere i mean <laughs> it was extraordinary and it i, I but in the car and when i met him uh, uh, and we we, and we sat in the cafe uh, the key thing that actually happened was uh when i said to him i didn't i wouldn't do anything that was um, in any way you know Prejudic- prejudicial about uh, Arabs, Muslims and so on uh, Midnight Express if you like is how mm. I put it um, and he said I'm really glad you said that because John and I spoke often weeks and weeks, days and months you know, talking about um, a, a, the possible film of our story and that's the one thing we agreed on um, so that was a very important bridge actually um, and um, I said well why don't we just fly blind together and see what happens um and uh literally two weeks later i was i was out in westport um with with Brian in complete isolation in this in this bungalow in the lee of Le- crow patrick um qu- uh, seven miles away from from westport we had no television um no newspapers absolutely nothing just <coughs> the two of us there actually in this beautiful setting um and we we immediately hit it off and he uh, he, got me a t- uh, he got me a typewriter, uh, an old ball, you know, what, what's it called, typewriter. Yeah. And and he paced around the room and I, I asked questions all the time. And I put together a 75-page outline, far longer than a normal outline. It's normally 25 pages. But there's such extraordinary material from Northern Ireland <coughs> from the time before he went to Beirut. That's extraordinary. None of, it, none of that's really in the film. Um, that, that That's a story in itself. Um, because one of the big things that really attracted me in the story, as he told it, it very quickly became apparent to me that it was kind of a biblical story, it really was. Um, An extraordinary story, not not just about two guys, you know, the extraordinary growth they went through as individuals, through their relationship, Um, but it was also about crossing divides. You had Brian, who had been, was a Protestant, who became sympathetic with the other side, um, so that was one bridge cross. You had the public school boy who could easily have been the other side of a machine gun in the British Army uh, with Brown, a, re- a Republican. Um, and then you had the bridge between the two guys and the guards. So it, it, it was su- it's such an extraordinary, profound story about, uh, about the ability of people to transcend where they come from.
1: Did Keenan and McCarthy know each other before they were shackled up together
0: no the irony of the whole thing was that um, Brown had been kidnapped he'd gone away he'd, he'd gone to basically he'd, he'd gone to um, Lebanon um, to get away from the troubles you know things, things were not easy for people like him uh, he was kidnapped and John was sent out by I think it was CNN to, tr- to try to do a story about him and um, John was kidnapped as he was leaving Lebanon um, obviously having not been able to see Brown um, and um, then, th- then they were finally put together in a cell together. Uh, and the interesting thing, as I learned, was that Brown was such a handful. I mean, I always say to people that if you, you, know, if you want to know Northern Ireland, there's nobody who personifies Northern Ireland better than Brown. He's extraordinary an extraordinary individual um and obviously very at that time very explosive because he's got he kept on showing his Irish passport and saying you can't take me I'm it's a, a neutral country and they it, it had no no effect so he was not somebody to take it lying down put it Put it that way, and I think he, he was such a handful for the guards that they decided to put him in with this Englishman, who was the ep, you know the epitome of the English public school boy, who was always looking to to, to for consensus and uh, and defusing uh, um, um, conflict.
1: Where does your story start? Are they already in captivity, or do we see them before the saga?
0: No, in, in in the screenplay, you, there was three or four um, scenes of Brian in the before, before he goes to Ireland but that actually was cut out in the edit and you go straight to him leaving his villa um, in, in, in Lebanon
1: and uh, being kidnapped The two of them, they were together for something like four years um, What kind of relationship developed between the two men?
0: Yeah, they were together four and a half years Well, I always characterise it as a, as a kind of um, as a sort of spiritual love story you know, there was an extraordinary bond that developed between them, um, which was based on them having to reveal themselves in ways that men don't normally reveal themselves. And that's what I found extremely interesting. Um, uh, I can't really say more than that. I mean, that, that was, that's, the, that's the heart of the film, really. Yeah.
1: Well, perhaps we should play the trailer very quickly. Uh, there are still are tickets available. It's on the 20th of October. Brian Keenan I'm John McCarthy How do you do?
3: I want to see the sun This is your son.
2: If we're attacked Everybody goes Boom You're afraid
3: past that.
1: I just don't want it to happen in the dark. They must have released a couple. Hope for everything, John. Expect nothing.
2: John is a good boy. He hasn't done anything wrong. I ask whoever is holding him, they do not harm our son.
1: Stop it! In the name of God, stop it! I want to kill him, John. You stand up straight, you stick that chin out, and you pretend they're not there. I'm not afraid of you or your toy. Really sorry, that i come losing you. You must not let all of this take over you, John. You have to show them that you still have a free mind. Our prisoner here also we can't go nowhere, we can't do nothing. We gotta get out of this place,
2: if it's the last thing we ever do.
1: part of themselves do they see locked up in me and how much of me is locked up in them sounds um quite action-packed there eh? um tell us how, how, you you promised brian and john that you um you'd be fair on their captors how, how's their relationship with their captors um uh, developed during the course of the movie it's difficult.
0: It's a difficult one. It takes time because the um, the leader of the uh, of the captors is is quite he's, he's quite psychotic. Brown described it uh, very well the way, where he says how much of uh, of them is in me and me is in, in them, which for me was an absolute key line, a key perception of his. Um, the other guards, what I learned what I learned from them was that. They were just being paid, I think, ten dollars a month. You know, they were doing it for their families. They were kind of innocent boys, really. Um, but they—they they were under the, under the, this this extremely psychotic guard. Uh, who, who, and they were very sexy they were very intrigued by these w- Westerners' sexuality. Uh, it's not in the film, but um, Saeed the, go- the the psychopath, um, uh, 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 I think it is this, but it's in the film where he says. Uh, uh, in, in in America, all uh, all men fuck fuck men in b- bushes and things, and yeah. also it re- refers to to, to to men's cocks, or stomach fingers. Yeah. Terribly intrigued, you, know, you see it in the film. He squeezes he squeezes Brown when Brown is rebelling. He, yeah. you, know, you can al- it's an almost sexual thing that he's that he's feeling this Westerner out. And uh, Brown said, you know that, that the there's uh, the sort of
1: sense of sexual repression
0: it? in these young guys is very
1: potent. What day do you want? A lot of the film, obviously, is is the two of them, Brian and John, um, developing their relationship, um, having hopes, having those hopes dashed. How how did you treat the relationship between the two principals?
0: It's difficult to say. Um, Quite naturally. (laughs) I mean, the, the, the thing is that they were so open with me, I could ask them anything. So, and I always felt when I was the screenplay was the key to it um, first getting the story together and what, what in the film business we call a treatment uh, that life doesn't happen in three acts so my job was to find and you don't do it consciously you do it intuitively but to find the shape and the form of the story and I would say to, to Brown I need something here and he'd immediately come up and I said the same thing happened with John John joined on the second draft of the script the first draft of the script was 272 pages, and eventually got it down to about 105 pages. Was the shooting script, but um, they both always had answers to questions, and um, it, it's difficult to say because you haven't seen the film. It's difficult to say how I do it. You just do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the characters take you over, and I have to say one thing: s- sitting over there and listening to the music was so nostalgic for me because so much of the film was basically inspired by this Irish soul, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I, when I first went over to Ireland to meet Brown, mm-hmm. it was an entirely intuitive action. I took two particular albums with me to, to Ireland. One was Bob Dylan's Oh Mercy. And that had, there was a man in the, the man in the long black coat. It doesn't feature in the film, but it had resonance for, for Brian and the death of his father and this strange character in black that he sensed when he was carrying, t- carrying his father's coffin of the sky watching him. This is all stuff in the treatment that never got into, that never got into the fine screen, screenplay. Uh, but the other absolutely key track, the most key track of all, which, as I said, I took it took completely intuitively, was Van Morrison's Poetic Champions Compose. Mm-hmm. And I played, because I realised they haven't heard any music for four and a half years, and I played Motherless Child him and it was just wonderful looking out over Clue Bay from this bungalow just, you know, a hundred yards from the sea. And every morning I played it. And the, and, and the weird thing is that quite soon into writing the treatment, Brown told me about, th- that it was known as the Beirut Hilton, that's what, the, that's what the prisoners called it. It was a, hor- it was a horrendous uh, prison. underground prison that had been built um, somewhere around Beirut, um, which was I- entirely encased in, in white ceramic tiles and just had little flickering pale blue neon strips. It was horrendous. Uh, um, they, in fact, Brown and John uh, christened it the House of Fun, um, which obviously was, was, was extremely a- ironical. But the image he described, them being dropped into the ground. You have a ladder in the film. Um, but I thought it was these two, these two guys had to go back to their childhood to discover the men they truly were. That was, that was the, the sort of approach. And it was like being dropped into the, the mother's belly. And so it was completely coincidental that the song and the symbol, and what actually happened actually worked together.
1: school was it easy to cast the two principles
0: what a, no what actually happened it was quite strange um, because it was such a huge number one story and i was a te- you know i was a nobody really I, I, i'd worked with you know done done quite so but I was, I was a nobody in terms of making movies um and suddenly i had the the rights to the story, the, the, with the, the and Channel Four leapt at it, um, and they wanted a, they wanted a world class director and star <coughs> names and all that, um, and I've got a wonderful file full of um, rejection letters from Louis Mal, Peter Weir, John Borman Nick Rogue didn't send a rejection. I mean, I met I met Nick Rogue, and he he uh, and he said, look, I've read. 2,000 screenplays probably my life, but only once before have I read a screenplay where I knew whoever wrote it should direct it. I'll help you in whatever way I can. But I couldn't do anything about it because, you know, it was, it was supposed to be a big thing. So I ran out of directors. The film was complete. you know, it was I thought it's never going to happen. A cameraman, lighting cameraman a friend of mine, John DeBorman, who did the full Monty, said, well, why don't you direct it? You know, I've helped first-time directors. That's you know, um, and then my key advisors said, "Well, if if that actors trust anybody, uh, it's the right. It's the person who wrote the script." Um, so I took the script round, and, and then Nick Rogue had, had recommended Celestia Fox, who'd cast Nick Rogue, Bertolucci, all those people, uh, film, and she recommended she she got Joe Fiennes, who was hot off Shakespeare in Love, he leapt at it, and uh, and uh, Robert Carlyle, who was hot off Trainspotting. So I immediately had two really bankable stars. Um, the problem that I then Brown and John, once I got the package together I needed a producer and Sally Hibbin, who's one of Ken Loach's producers um, and, 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 and fantastically good at getting difficult films because it's first time director that particular moment was when stream the, the, the whole middle ground of filmmaking was collapsing uh, and she was an expert at getting low budget films together um, so it ended up with me uh, d- directing it Joe Fine stayed with it for a time, but dro- dropped out after two years. and And Ian Hart had been recommended by Celestia. Uh, then Joe had to drop out, and uh, Celestia recommended up Linus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was perfect it was a perfect combination. Actually, it's yin and yang. Perfect.
1: That's Linus Roach. Yes,
3: Stephen, you you've seen the film. Uh, it's marvelous. It, it, it's an exceptional piece of filmmaking, and. Uh, I have to congratulate John on making it. I, I didn't know of it before. I, I think I might have seen this once a long, long time ago. It's not a film that should be said that you're likely to have, go back for repeated viewings because it, it's um, it's very, very disturbing. But I, I, I found it uh, both heart-rending and heartwarming uh, overall. The 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 story is one of triumph in the end, which uh, the, the Keenan McCarthy story is one of eventual triumph. Um, but it's a long journey to get there. What, uh, I'm interested that John says that it's um, got a spiritual uh, element to it. Um, I don't know. It might, uh, might be just because I'm Irish, but it was reminded me of Beckett. It reminded me of Waiting for Godot, where you have these two guys who are stuck together in a, in a kind of strange never world, and they never know when they're going to get out of it. Um, the suspension of their understanding of time... Uh, the way they had to kind of uh, redevelop uh, almost uh, their thinking processes outside of time Um, in fact there's one element in it when they are after several years it seems they're given watches and that's the first time that they actually know what the time is um, in the story it it is a film where you're almost entirely stuck in one room most of the time Uh, and there's not a great deal of action in it yet Developing the, the, the psychology of the characters uh, is very, very well done. How, how did you Without go about uh, kind of working on the plot structure and the emotional development of the, the character arcs?
1: One of the
0: problems of getting a, a, a named director was um, people, they couldn't see how to do two men in a room they found it really difficult. The only person who bit was Polanski and I had some really interesting meetings with Polanski but he would got a two-picture contract with a big French company and that expired um, so he couldn't, he had he'd already got another thing to go on to um, so, and he wasn't, he, he
1: wasn't worried about doing two men in a room. We were talking about Blind Flight, we're here with John Furze, the director it's on at the ICC on the 20th of October after the movie, there's a and A with you and Brian and John. Uh, how are they now? I mean, it's, it was around 20 years ago, wasn't it? So, well, they're still very, very close friends, of course. Um, have uh, they
0: recovered from? Yes, they, yes, they they, they they have, they they have, um, um, and they've all had, you know, got families and kids and all that. Um, the thing is, it is what's quite special for it about it for me is it's the first time i will have seen the film together with both of them in fact i think it's both the first time they've both seen the film together and I never really spoke to Brian about the film. I think he saw it at the Dublin Film Festival, yeah. Irish Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... And also, uh, Brian's bringing his two sons who are in their early, mid-twenties. They've never seen the film. Oh, wow. So it's 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 going to be a pretty special night. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, uh, we're looking forward to that.
0: And
2: also, uh, I, th- I recommend any cinema that's listening in to pick up on giving it a screening. It does deserve to be redistributed to get distribution because it's such an it's so current you know it's so important now and it's a brilliant brilliant film it's a
0: lost film, if you don't mind me saying yeah. so. It's a lost film. One, yeah. one of the things I, I, I thought I'd failed because it, the film just disappeared. It got great reviews, um, you know, got nominations and a prize for best actor award from Scorsese and De Niro at the uh, you know at the Tribeca Festival, um, and then it just disappeared, and I couldn't find it anywhere. There wasn't on any of the streamers, and then when I put out on Facebook that I was screening it in January, the original sales uh, guy for it. Contacted me, and he said we'd like we'd like it back, you know. Um, uh, and he had to do some research, and it turned out that um, nobody got the rights. It's a it's a, fil- it's a real classic, sort of lost film, if you like.
1: Well, there's a chance to see it right here at the ICC on the twentieth of October. Thank you very much, John, for coming in and sharing your experiences well, with Brian and Sorry. John, and thank you, Steve, for you. stepping in and giving us a very short review.
0: This is Adrian Dunbar, and I'm at the Irish Cultural Centre Hammersmith for Bright Side of the Road on Portobello Radio. It's a regular roundup of Irish
3: culture in London featuring music, books, art, politics, drama, and film.